So hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. Um, today's just going to be me and Jim. Manu uh, has uh, you know some some things to do, so he won't be able to make it. But um, I'm sure he'll be he'll be back for next episode. Um, a lot has happened since we last you know discussed things and 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 hosted this pod. Um, we've had injuries. We've had. Uh, the trade deadline. We've had a couple, you know, a couple of wins and, and a couple of losses. So we're gonna dive into to a lot of things here. Um, the state of the team now, the trends that we've noticed, uh, expectations uh, for the future for the rest of the season, and the state of the league as a whole, and what we, you know, project the playoffs will look like. So a lot to unpack. Um, I guess we can kind of recap like the last week or so um since we've we last hosted the pod so essentially we had the the game against the nuggets right where we got blown out Steph played the back-to-back um we competed for like a solid three quarters and then it kind of fell apart just didn't have enough juice there to to hold serve I believe Draymond did miss that game um so obviously you're missing you know a very valuable and important piece but it was on the road. It was a tough way to go out. Steph actually nicked his um, his leg in that game, and uh, but he ended up being fine. And then a little bit after that, we played the um, we played the Mavericks, and that was a home game. And we were dominating them. They were, were without Luca. They you know started a couple of lower bench players. You know, um, Joe, not not necessarily lower bench, but they played more. Uh, they played players who were deeper in, from their bench, and uh, we ended up blowing them out. But they, you know, Steph gets hurt with his uh, now diagnosed leg contusion, which is now going to be, you know, lead lead him to be out for a month, around a month. And so there's that. Obviously, the concerns there, and then we have. You know, that game we end up closing it out, but the Mavericks kind of close in. They make a run once Steph goes down. We were we were up by 19 when Steph was in. He gets hurt, and then we end up, uh, you know, they end up chipping it down to six for the win. But, uh, so yeah, Steph got hurt there. He'll be out for a while. They diagnosed it as a leg contusion, so basically a bruise under his knee and some a couple of sprained ligaments in that area kind of near the uh, tibia and, and, and fibula uh, in his there, leg. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's out for a while through All-Star break, unfortunately, which was, you know, that that was something that really held a grip on the fan base because people were worried, you know, it could have been an MCL, it could have been something very serious. And it, and it is serious, but, you know, second, second best case scenario, right? I then we played the Thunder at home. And Clay goes off. He hits 12 threes. He's just super hot throughout the game, hitting tough shot after tough shot, finding openings. Jordan has 21 and 12, 12 assists, that is. He's really efficient, picking his spots as a scorer, getting to the right areas, um, super efficient with the playmaking aspect, driving kicks, setting his teammates up. Wiggins had a really good game. He had 18 and 4. Three, uh, 18 four assists and three rebounds. Really good defensive ga- game on SGA. Kind of shut his water off in the second half. Um, 
so overall, good game. Kaminga, only 22 minutes, but he was a plus 19. Dante had 14 and 7 off the bench, hit four threes. Loon was really good, and Jermichael had a really good game, one of the better games he's had all year. 12 points, 3 rebounds, hit a couple threes, really efficient in his spots, crashed the glass, was a force out there. We fast forward to the day before the trade deadline against the Blazers on the road where Wiggins has 18, 10, 4, and 4 steals. A really efficient game. One of you know he's rounding into form. This is one of the trends we've noticed um, that he's his you know his shot a little bit up and down, but it's trending you know in a positive direction. But mostly overall, the body of work, the defensive, uh, the ability to defend at a high level and and stay connected, stay solid on that and rebound consistently. Those things are coming back. He um, you know he's been attacking the basket more often too. And overall, just Wiggins has just started to put it together, uh, particularly since Steph has has gotten hurt um, and has been out. Clay had 31. He had a really big first half. He kind of cooled off in the second half, missed a bunch of threes. Um, but he kind of kept us in the game the whole time. And he had 31 and five assists. He was actually getting into the paint, breaking the defense a bit, using his body, trying to shield off, wield off defenders. Did a really good job there. Uh, just shots didn't fall down the stretch, and you kind of live with that. Draymond struggled. He had four points, six rebounds, seven assists. Uh, de- defensively, he was pretty good, um, but just two for seven from the field. He had four turnovers. He kind of just struggled at times. Whether you know, understanding that Portland's a more athletic team, they got guys who can cover ground, who have who are vertical threats, defensively in particular, and he was just passing up layups under the rim. So. That was a cause for concern, obviously, in that one game, but it's nothing we have we haven't seen before. Uh, but the main two guys I want to discuss, um, and from a positive light, Jordan Poole and Dante. Jordan Poole, thirty-eight and seven, super efficient, fifty-two from the field, fifty-eight from three, hit seven threes, only two turnovers. He was really getting, you know, breaking the paint, getting to the rim. Uh, he got to the line five times. Or, or a, a couple times, but he had five total free throws. His off-ball game, for, in terms of the three-point, uh, the three-point shot particularly, just kind of backpedaling the relocation stuff, the pin downs. Um, he was just really getting to his spots off the ball in the half court and knocking down threes. He had se- again seven assists, and he just had a really good game. He he also kind of fizzled down the stretch in terms of closing, but obviously. Um, he did a really good job to keep us in the game the whole night. And then Dante, 18 points, two boards, two assists. Would have liked the the rebounds and assists to be a little higher, but he really did a lot of damage with his scoring. He had five threes on the game, on the night, three steals, and he was just really hitting shot after shot. They were kind of leaving him open, cheating off of him, and he was making them pay. The the Portland defense did a really good job. I mean, just a really solid eighth, you know, seventh eighth man. And then, but then in a more negative light, Kaminga and, and Jamichael kind of struggled a lot. Um, Kaminga was one for four from the field, 0 for two from three, only two points, was a minus 12 on the game, which was a team worst. But uh, he, he was decent defensively. He held Dame to one for four shooting, 0 for one from three, one turnover. So he did really good, you know, really well defensively. Um, he fouled a bit, but again, he looked a little rattled. It was the, it was the day 
um, or the game and the day before the trade deadline. So, you know, we can, he, he's been trending so positively defensively um, and, and he's finding him, himself offensively that we can, we can, you know, give him a pass for a bad night. Uh, he, Cause he really did struggle. He looked flustered out there, but it happens. And then Jamichael and this is the last point, Jamichael only two shots had one, two points, one board. He had, um, he was only a plus three played 11 minutes, just not really much of a factor. Um, would have liked to have more of him and more minutes, uh, and more impact, but it, you know, he is a role player at the end of the day, but he's been, you know, kind of like the story all season up and down. And then I do want to mention, uh, James Wise and Moses Moody were buttoned up the whole game. They did not take their suit off. Uh, they did not, you know, their jerseys weren't out in the open. They were pretty much benched the entire game and there were, there was no indication that they were going to contribute in any meaningful way. Uh, and, and, and they didn't, they didn't even play. The last game was a blowout. We, we beat OKC by 30 basically. And they didn't even come into the game until four or five minutes left in, in the, in the fourth quarter. So they've, their minutes have more than dwindled and that was then, right. But now we, we, as we all know, the main topic of this pod and the story of the hour for the Warriors um, the trade deadline, uh, they made a really compelling push for OG Ananobi and they were the front runners at one point. They were big contenders, uh, and they were in position to get them, but the asking price ended up being too high. So they passed up and instead they traded James Wiseman to the Pistons for Sadiq Bay, who was rerouted to the Atlanta Hawks for five second rounders. That goes back to the Warriors, which they converted into Gary Payton II, a fan favorite, a player who contributed to a title last year, and the the story of of this podcast, because we have Jim Park, uh, obviously my my co-host, who man he missed him. So uh, I could run some numbers, Jim, before you you know, or I can kind of throw throw them in at, as you speak on GP two. But um, I'll have you kind of break down what, what he's going to bring back to the team and, and kind of give a rundown as to the impact he's going to offer. And then I can provide some of the statistical, you know, uh, analysis and, and, and some, of the, some of the backing of the, of the numbers as to not only the impact he's had, but the versatility he provides and, and things of that nature. So uh, you want to start on, on that, you can go right ahead. Okay, well, that was an immaculate recap on your part. Uh, great memory, just great preparation. And um, as far as Gary Payton is concerned, I, I didn't see this coming. Apparently, uh, Shadow had posted something about Gary Payton coming back maybe like three days before this, two days before the trade happened. Yeah, no, and is- this, is, this is true. And, and Urkel, the day before, actually did mention that the Warriors were inquiring about GP2. They were, they, they were on the phone, Urkel and Shadow. Um, and they're tapped in, right? So they, they, they've been receiving texts and indications of, as to who and what exactly is being discussed in terms of trades. And GP2 was a name that they both floated out there. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Like, that, it, was, it was definitely in the works for, for a few days. Wow. So that's interesting because I, I had no idea. Like, that was 
Gary Payton was the last name that was on my mind. You know, as you know, I was looking for guys like Caruso and Thaddeus Young, or obviously OG. I was just glad that the Warriors were in the conversation uh, to trade because they weren't. And there were no rumors going around. Uh, the only rumor that we really saw was that the front office was considering the idea of making James Wiseman and Moody available in trades. And that was like a day before the trade deadline. So you kind of felt very nervous about the situation overall. Uh, but once they started making moves, obviously James Wiseman for five second round picks, you figured that they were going to use those picks uh, to help them facilitate a different trade. And when I saw that they were getting Sadiq Bay, I was like, mm, this is not what they want to do. But then they quickly moved him. And then obviously there were also kind of rumors about uh, the Warriors talking to the Blazers about Wiseman. Uh, that is when I was like, wait a second, what's what's going on here, right? So you know me, I, I never wanted Gary Payton gone. I, I actually, you know, I, I was pleading that they make sure that they sign this guy because he is a cheat code for the Warriors on both ends of the floor. And he proved to be a critical rotational piece uh, that ended up helping the Warriors win the championship against the Celtics. So he was proven commodity. He proved that he was vital. He was a vital piece for success. And to just let him go, I honestly think that he's worth even more than what he got paid. I understand that from the Warriors' perspective, he was, uh, you know, a guy that they picked up from the G League and things like this. And he he was a guy that just basically had no business making the team. But ultimately, he showed his value. And it's not his fault that other teams cannot better use him and correctly, you know, take advantage of the things that he can do. And even just watching some of the games uh, for the Blazers earlier in the season, I, I checked out some of the games just to see how Gary Payton was doing for them. And they just weren't really using him at all uh, from an offensive standpoint. I guess they just expected him to be out there and play defense, right? But you know, this this guy's an elite finisher. Like, he's a cheat code at the rim. But for a guy who's 6'3", he finishes like a, a super athletic power forward. Like, he's dunking on centers and power forwards and just other guys that are much bigger than him. And it just doesn't make any sense. And so to not utilize that, and there were games where he was getting like one shot, two shot attempts. You know what I mean? Like that just doesn't, I can see why he would be unhappy in that situation. But we know that Gary Payton always kind of wanted to stay with the Warriors. He, you know, he loves the Bay, Bay Area and <clears throat> he was just so dedicated to the Warriors. And so uh, to have him back is just such a blessing. And how does he change? The Warriors situation. I mean, he changes them instantly from a defensive standpoint. The level of athleticism this guy has, the explosiveness, the strength that he has, you know, he can hold ground against guys that are just much bigger than him, right? And the timing that he has when he's when he's the POA, he his ability to just strip guys. He 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 understands um, when to strip the ball and not you know get into any foul trouble. Uh, 
and just the things that he can do overall, um, the strips, the fast breaks, it's all kind of cheat code stuff to me. I don't think you can name another guy who can do all the things that he can do at his size and just be multi-positional, being able to guard uh, from one to three, he can guard anybody, right? He can just come in and shut down any star player even. Last year, we didn't have to worry about guys like John Moran and Devin Booker uh, or even a guy like Jalen Brown uh, because you knew that Gary Payton was going to come in and just kind of clamp them. And so for him to come back and the Warriors having had all the, all the defensive issues that they've had, he will instantly change uh, what the Warriors do on both ends of the floor. So this is this is a truly exciting pickup for the Warriors. I think I think the Warriors need needed to get a power forward. Still, the rebounding is still an issue, and Jonathan Kuminga. Hopefully, he can do a better job now that Gary Payton is the POA guy. Now that Kuminga can kind of do more of his job as a forward, uh, I like the things that he's doing on both ends of the floor. But the one thing that he's not been consistent in is rebounding. Uh, in the month of February, he's averaging 2.2 rebounds. So that's tough. But the Warriors have also asked him to be the POA guy. So it's hard for him to be rebounding and be out in the perimeter, guarding perimeter guys at the same time. So hopefully uh, the Gary uh, the Gary Payton acquisition kind of... Uh, so, out as well. so you really laid out there and, and illustrated the impact um, he, could, he could give us from multiple standpoints. I want to add, um, one of the underrated things of, of adding GP2 in terms of the fit within the system on this team, given the personnel, is like you just mentioned, it scaffolds the development of Kaminga. Um, you know, Kaminga, he is blossoming into a very, very high-level defender. Elite, not yet, but he's getting there. He is trending towards that. And so rather than playing him at POA, which is an option, uh, but maybe not optimal, we, we now have him in more comfortable spots having GP2 out there where Kaminga can now guard twos and threes, guys who are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, around that range, and he can kind of body up, be physical, hold ground, garden space, those sorts of things, and be more comfortable as opposed to guarding quick, small guards who may be able to kind of be shifty, off the bounce, get to their spots, things of that nature. As well as, so not only from a positional and and responsibility standpoint, Kaminga is now, like you just mentioned, he can key in on rebounding. He's closer to the paint, his proximity, the the localization of where he's on the court. Um, he will be closer to and, and more and more focused on rebounding as opposed to stopping the guy in front of him. So so that's a big deal. Uh, in addition, right? Because we saw some J- Jordan Poole point of attack stuff. We we've seen some, you know, Dante point of attack stuff. GP two gives us a viable, high level, reliable option at that spot where he can be a release valve. He can be a release ba- valve for Jordan right? Teams are going to call him up less because of GP2's presence, but also Dante, where Dante has been what GP2 is going to be for Jordan, right? So 
Dante can kind of even benefit from GP2's presence and role on the team as well. So this release, this idea of a release valve is, is a big one as well. And overall, just being a connector on both ends, but a connector defensively in particular uh, is what GP2 provides. And, and this is what that, this team has been needing all season long is connectors, guys who can connect, guys who can complete defensive possessions with rebounds, guys who can close out um, properly and appropriately without allowing for too many breakdowns, things of that nature. Um, Guys who are just solid and don't make too many mistakes. So I also want to mention that, that GP2 also rounds out the anatomy of our roster like from a versatility standpoint and, and in terms of combinations. So he provides, as, as I've mentioned on defense, but now offensively, rim pressure, a guy who's a high-level instinctive cutter, guy, a guy who understands the timing of it, super high-level in that respect, um, as a slasher with the 45 cuts, but in particular the baseline cuts as, we, as we've seen last year. As a baseline slasher, his slashing ability overall uh, is going to provide some rim pressure, an option, and some threat. Uh, he's also a vertical threat, a guy who can be a lob threat in certain half-court actions and sets, but also in transition. And I also want to round out, like, understand that even though with the Blazers he wasn't as good um, as he was with the Warriors last year, in 15 games this season, he's been a plus 24, so Regardless of situation, I mean, we're st- this guy is really rounded out into being a walking positive. Um, regardless of the team he's on or the players that are around him, he figures out a way to be beneficial and impactful for his team. Um, I also want to mention a couple of interesting statistical representations of, of, of what GP2 brings to the table. Warriors Muse, obviously Manu, who is one of the co-hosts on the pod. Uh, he obviously I mentioned before he couldn't be here today, but he he uh, tweeted out earlier. Since Kevin Durant joined in 2016-17, Gary Payton and Steph Curry are the highest two-man net rating combo in terms of next to Steph. So, in terms of the two-man lineups, one of them being Steph. It goes Gary Payton and Steph last year, KD and Steph in 2019, Zaza and Steph in 2018, Andre Iguodala and Steph in 2019, and Draymond and Steph in 2019. So this is, again, since uh, since KD and Steph joined in 2016-17, these particular numbers represent since 2017-18 and a minimum of 300 minutes. So we have a sample size, and we have a sample size of a minimum of 300 minutes, and then we have the timeline of around about five years, five seasons, and GP2 and Steph had a higher net rating, more impactful on the court as a two-man combo than KD and Steph by around a point and a quarter uh, net rating. And they were the best, so that that's a big deal. Secondly, this season, Draymond at the five posts a 105.7 defensive rating. Now, by the way, these numbers are provided by Samus Fondiari, who uh, the, the Light Years podcast uh, host, um, and he tweeted this out earlier today as well. So Draymond at the five, about 106 defensive rating in, the, in those lineups. 
any various combination, but Draymond at the five, 106. Now, 106 would actually net as the best defensive rating in the NBA. But last season, Draymond at the five lineups that included GP2, 98 defensive rating. 98. So around eight points better of a defensive rating from last season, Draymond at the five next to GP2 lineups versus Draymond at the five lineups all of this year. About eight points better. So again, you're seeing the 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 ceiling raising ability of a GP2 uh, next to Steph and then next to Draymond from both standpoints. And then finally, Gary Payton, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green are three best perimeter defenders and our three best overall all-encompassing def- defenders on the floor together last season in 190 regular season minutes. 95 defensive rating. 95. Now that is historic. That would rank, I mean, that number is, it's almost made up. I mean, that, that is a, that, that basically means teams are scoring 95 points around per 100 possessions. Complete and utter lockdown. Um, and, and that's just a regular season. In the playoffs, in 53 minutes, which is a solid sample size given the, the lesser sample size the playoffs has to offer, it's the same exact net rating, but minus like a point, like point one. So in the regular season, it was 95.4. In the playoffs, it's 95.5. Virtually the same impact in the playoffs. The versatility um, with these three on the floor. And, and by the way, these sample sizes do not include low leverage minutes. So these are medium to high leverage minutes. These are, you know, important minutes. These are real minutes, not garbage time. So you see the impact. These are just some a couple of stats who that represent exactly the what GP2 brings to the table. And from a more surgical standpoint, from a more technical standpoint, what does he offer in terms of the eye test? Um, from, a, from a defensive standpoint, this is a guy who has premier positioning, understands how to slide his feet, do, reaches in with purpose, doesn't do so to gamble. He has immaculate timing. He understands where to be, how to move his feet, understands the ability to, um, you know, when to do what to do. So when am I going to reach in? When am I going to dig? When am I going to rotate? When am I going to, you know, when am I going to change my stance defensively? How, How am I going to adjust? His timing is, is incredible. His understanding of angles, forcing guys to dribble with their left, forcing guys to, to in ice coverage, drive baseline, understanding how to force certain guys into tough shots, and ultimately his anticipation, beating players to their spots, understanding how to read the play before it develops, anticipating the pass, and anticipating the move, the jab step, the the drive, the step back, and contesting with purpose and and and, and without fouling, all of those things make him a disciplined, high level, solid, reliable defender. And then offensively, super underrated. His playmaking chops, he can give you a few assists. He's not out there not knowing what to do with the ball. He has a little driving kick to his game. He has a little. He has some understanding of what reads to make, when to make them. He's a very good rebounder, particularly for his for his size, but 
in a vacuum. He's a very good rebounder given the minutes he plays. And then, as we mentioned before, as a slasher, as a threat at the rim, a guy who puts pressure on the rim, his timing and understanding of where to be, positioning, uh, you know, from a from a slashing standpoint, the 45 cuts, the baseline cuts, which are his bread and butter, that is what makes him so effective next to Steph Curry from an offensive standpoint, right? He's super efficient with his possessions. He's efficient in his spots. And that's why, that's what makes him such an impactful positive on the court. So, so that's kind of just a summary of exactly, you know, what he can do, what he has done, and kind of the expectations we have. And he may not exactly pick up where he left off, but he will sure definitely get there. Um, and, and obviously he has the familiarity with the system. So really exciting stuff um, oh, on, on that front, right? Beautiful so breakdown. Anything, right? anything to add, uh, I, I definitely I could have missed some stuff. So for sure, well, go, go right ahead. Yeah, so for me, the bottom line with Gary Payton is that he's a cheat code. And I only reserve that word, cheat code, for one other guy in this league. And that's Steph Curry. So you put two cheat codes together, and it's no wonder they're the best combination, right? They produce like this incredible effect because it's it's a cheat code offensively and cheat code defensively. You put that together, and it's just like, whoa, right? As far as I'm concerned, if 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 I can call Gary Payton a cheat code, that means he's the best he's the best defender uh, in the league in terms of the things that he can do. Um, it just he's so elite, right? He's not just really good and just again he this guy is super elite, and he just understands the game uh, in a way. This is really underrated how smart he is, right? It's just that he's so physically imposing. Uh, so we focus on that, but it, it's his intelligence and combined with that athleticism and that strength and just, just nonsensical ability to uh, do things that other players of his size cannot do. Uh, that just makes him such a game changer. And so to see, to be able to, we have to wait to pair him up with Steph Curry, unfortunately, because of Curry's injury. Uh, but in the meantime, he can immediately just change the game uh, off the bench uh, playing alongside Draymond, like you said, and just shutting teams down. This is what's going to start happening. And uh, this, wow, I'm excited. And just even looking at the statistics uh, from an offensive standpoint, this guy, I mean, he didn't play enough offense, like I said, for the Blazers, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, right around 59% uh, field goal. Uh, to be expected, he shot six, almost 62% last year with the Warriors. On double the shots, uh, and he's actually shooting 53% from uh, the three-point line, which is also very impressive. So, yeah, lots to look forward and, to here. And by the way, he's not just a Steph merchant, right? Like, Steph makes him work, but next to Steph, he was a plus 17 last year. Next to Draymond, he was a plus 12. Next to um, Looney, he was a plus 13. Next to Poole, plus 8. Next to Wiggins, plus 10. So those two-man lineups, and he obviously, Steph, optimizes him and makes him, he really maximizes his skill set and makes him super effective, particularly offensively. But GP2 has proven to be highly effective and highly impactful regardless 
of you know who he's around because of his skill set defensively. The defense is what translates, and particularly next to Looney and and, uh, and Draymond, he is uh, super. I mean, it's not Steph level, but it's still very, very, um, you know, it's it's extremely encouraging, especially this upcoming stretch without Steph to have a guy who, look, you know, Steph obviously makes him his best self. He he, he optimizes what he does, um, and, and and slots him into a role that where where he can really maximize what uh what his skill set is from a slashing standpoint, from a transition standpoint, defensively. All those things for sure, but he will be a positive on the court the moment he steps on it. And we, all of these guys I've named, with the exception of Steph, are going to be available for the foreseeable future. So super exciting because we know he's going to have high level impact right away. And um, so that's yeah. that's a, that that's the story of uh, the Warriors uh, trade deadline. I know we we wanted to discuss the. Um, and and we're going to discuss two more things. Team, the teams that got better and worse overall and, and how we view them as threats and, you know, projecting what they look like in the playoffs just briefly with respect to the Warriors. Um, and then I also want to lastly just discuss any minor trends and expectations uh, for the, you know, upcoming stretch here to close out before All-Star break. So if you want to go ahead and, and discuss anything that you noticed, any trades that raised your antenna, um, go right ahead because there was definitely a lot of movement. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess we should focus on the West mostly. Uh, obviously, I think there's one really relevant move that happened in the East that's uh, noteworthy, and that's obviously Jay Crowder going to the Bucks, right? Because the Bucks they won the championship when they had uh, PJ Tucker. Uh, he was a difference maker for them uh, from a defensive standpoint, and. Uh, now they kind of they lost him, and then they kind of went back to you know whatever it is that they did last year, and now they replaced it again with Jay Crowder. So we'll see how that situation plays out. But in terms of what's going on in the West, I think what the Clippers did, I think that's probably the most notable in terms of because they have pieces, but they also had these pieces that just did not necessarily fit for them uh, from a defensive standpoint and even offensive standpoint, like John so, Wall. So let's, exactly. So let's, let's recap. So they, so the Clippers offloaded John Wall and, and Luke Kennard. And I think they acquired Eric Gordon. Um, who else do you, you remember? Uh, Bones Highland. Bones Highland. Right, right, right. And they and also then, picked up Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley. Okay. Yeah. So that's a starter caliber, caliber center. Obviously, he started for the Hornets this whole season, and um, and then you got Eric Gordon. You remember Eric Gordon from those those playoffs, you know, against the Rockets. That guy is a pain in the neck. He knows how to play. He makes an impact on both ends of the flo- uh, floor. He's a bulldog on defense. So upgrading with a guy like that, it, it just you know that that makes a massive difference for them. So uh, you look at you look at the depth chart kind of of the Clippers, right? Because obviously they have Paul George and Kawhi, uh, man, and they have Batum, who obviously we always talk about a lot. We we want we wanted kind of a Batum kind of player for the Warriors as well, right? So you look at that depth chart, and it's just like, and they have Powell and High uh, Highland, and they have two big guys 
So they have a lot of versatility. Uh, they can go a lot of different ways. And I think in terms of their potential uh, this season, I think it's higher than the Suns. I understand that the Suns got KD and they got rid of some critical pieces to do that. Uh, and But the Suns, uh, and this is the same thing for the Mavs as well, uh, for me, is that their changes are so drastic. And I think that needs time uh, for them to kind of adjust. Like Devin Booker is going to get less shots. Uh, Aiton was already unhappy, is going to get even less shots now. So, and, and where's the defense? They got four guys in their starting lineup that are not necessarily known as defenders, right? And you need defense to win championships. Uh, whereas the Clippers are much more well-rounded from top to bottom. And defensively, they have these five units that can just re be really solid all around defensively. So if the Clippers, let's say, matched up against the Suns somehow in the playoffs, I think the Clippers have an advantage. So I would say that they made uh, some of the biggest upgrades uh, in terms of what happened in the West. I love that. I love that breakdown. Um, yeah, and the Clippers also lost uh, Reggie Jackson, by the way, as well. So, um, right. So that is that's probably a good thing for them. Right. I'll say this about the Clippers: they so obviously you acquire Mason Plumlee, um, who is I believe to be. I don't think he's much of a threat offensively. Um, he can. He's a play finisher, right? So he can, you know. In, in certain spots, he can definitely get, you know, easy layups, easy dunks. Uh, not a great free throw shooter. Doesn't really have much of a offensive game to, you know, to his, uh, to his credit. But I will say defensively, he's solid. He's okay. And he's a good rebounder. Um, so that's a solid acquisition. And then you add Eric Gordon as well as Bones Highland. Bones Highland, obviously, is not a, not known for his defense. He's a very good scorer, a guy who can, Shake, shimmy, get to his spots. Uh, very shifty player, get to the rim. Super, uh, super skilled, right? Just gets his shot off. Has a very tight handle. Um, so he's really good. But I don't know from a defensive standpoint what, if it solves much. And then Eric Gordon, who I think is probably the more notable acquisition of the bunch, is a more well well rounded, connective type who can hit the three pretty solid defender. He's a decent rebounder. Uh, obviously, like he's kind of like a, a bulky 6'7". And yeah, he's just a vet. Like he's a vet who knows how to play the game. And defensively, right? Like maybe he's not the greatest, but he still plays defense. He's solid and he has some size. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm not... Honestly, with the Clippers, I'm not too moved by by what they did. I think... They offloaded some guys, and they they added some guys who kind of has have similar skill sets, but are definitely an upgrade overall. Um, I'm you know obviously the Suns made the biggest splash of the deadline, and then the Mavericks were you know obviously made some moves as well. Kyrie to the Mavs, I feel like you know it's going to be interesting to see how Luca and him play off each other because Kyrie is a better is probably has the ability to play better off the ball off of Luka than Luka does Kyrie, right? So you're going to probably see a lot of Kyrie, you know, spotting up, catch and shoot, some curls, maybe some stampede stuff where Luka's driving and Kyrie's sort of 
cutting and then about to catch the ball, put the ball on the floor, get to the rim with the floater and maybe some kickouts. So they're going to run some stuff. We'll see how that fits. It might be a worse version of Harden and Chris Paul in 2018, right? Uh, with I, think obviously- I think it's more complicated because they're both ISO players. They're both ISO-centric right. Right. and heavy players. So they both need a lot of usage in that regard. And and they're not and and Kyrie's not the playmaker Chris Paul was right so like he has limitations and 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 Luca struggles off the ball but so did Harden right so there's a real give and take here but there are a lot of similarities but what do you yeah what do you think about that overall like just that fit and 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 in a series against the Warriors what do you how do you see that playing out we could talk about let's talk about four teams in particular let's talk about briefly the Suns the Mavs, the Clippers, and the Nuggets, just how you see them, just after the post-trade deadline, how you see them shaping out, rounding out in, you know, in a couple months if, if we end up facing them. Like, what do you think? Mm, so you start with the, 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 uh, the, the Mavericks. Well, I think the Mavericks, they have to figure out, you know, the balance between, you know, two guys that are really dominant, right? And when you put two guys like that, For me, there's a dynamic to the game of basketball where there are natural fits and then there are natural, like, kind of misfits. And so when is the last time we've seen two ISO-heavy guys uh, that are as dominant as these two are come together and play well together? Can you think of any examples? Somebody has to sacrifice. Right, right. Of course. Of course. And who's that going to be? It's gonna have to be Luca. I mean, for it to work. The better player always sacrifices. Yeah, so we don't know how that's gonna shake out. We don't we don't know if that's gonna impact his rhythm. Um even with Curry and KD, their rhythms were kind of messed up when they first got together, right? So and these are they're some of the most kind of adjustable guys ever. So for these guys who are so specifically they, they play one style of play that's what they're the best at so even when Kyrie got together with James Harden they turned James Harden into the point guard and Kyrie remained the shooter uh, the the shooting guard and he was the one doing all the ISO stuff right so I'm really not sure how that's going to shake out they lost um, Dorian Finney-Smith uh, so who's a big going? by the way their only point of attack one of their few point of attack guys, really, really good rebounder. Like he's averaging five, six boards on the season. And a guy who can hit the three pretty reliably. I think he's like 36% from three before the deadline. And just a really good connective piece, kind of like Otto Porter, kind of like, you know, just that, that high, that three and D prototypical type of guy, you know? Yeah. So I don't really necessarily believe in the Mavericks like that. I, I don't consider them as much of a threat as long as teams don't have in comparison to, let's say the Warriors, right. In terms of how they're going to match up, as long as teams don't have guys that can stop Steph Curry. And as long as the Warriors get their defense in order, I don't think there's any other team that's going to beat them. So, I, I also want to mention um, what I said earlier, right? The, the better player always sacrifices. That may not be true, necessarily you want to go case by case right like Jordan sacrificed for Pippen Steph sacrificed for KD but you have cases where like and and you could also say LeBron sacrificed for Kyrie a bit right like there there's that 
there's those examples. But then you could say D. Wade sacrificed for LeBron, and D. Wade was worse at the time. So there's examples where you could say, like, it to truly optimize a duo like that, to truly optimize two superstars together and 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 to get the most out of it. You the better player should sacrifice. It doesn't always happen. And it, you could still make it work even if the, the worst player sacrifices. But for it to work it, at its best and optimized, the better player has to sacrifice because the better player is the better player. So he can still get his own whenever he wants. He's a probably, more than likely, an, a better off-ball player. He's probably more well-rounded in certain areas. So he's able to take a step back and accommodate for the you know the lesser player, generally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Luca, especially from a st- statistical standpoint. Because when you have two ball dominant guys like this, this is usually the stats suffer. So if Kyrie is going to be on the ball more, then obviously you expect uh, Luca's assist numbers to go down, uh, his scoring numbers to go down, and then maybe uh, like you know maybe people will kind of look at him a little differently too. And is he going to be okay with that? Is he going to like that? Because he's putting up just from a statistical standpoint, this is historical, right? It's better than LeBron, right? So he's, the dude is practically averaging a triple double, right? It's insane from a statistical standpoint. But when I think about their, them matching up against the Warriors, now that they have Gary Payton, you can kind of, you know. So now you don't have to rely on like Wiggins and Kaminga. As like your only dudes, right? Like, and even right. Dante, but da- I don't love Dante over Kaminga because Kaminga on Luca and Wiggins on Kyrie. But now you have GP two, and now Kaminga right. can slot back, and now Kaminga can, and then and then if GP two picks up two fouls out of nowhere, okay, you got Kaminga still. But let's say, or maybe you could go with Kaminga, and maybe he gets into foul trouble, or maybe he struggles a bit, but you save GP two. Now GP two comes in, and he's reliable. Like you have options and combinations. Yeah, getting GP2 changes everything because I don't feel comfortable, let's say, if they didn't have GP, I don't feel comfortable with the idea of Dante stopping Kyrie Irving. Or Oh, for sure. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, no, 100%. Level there. So, uh, Dante, so, yeah. Dante, defensively, I would say Dante is kind of more like Otto, who's more like just rotating in the right spots, rotating effectively, getting, you know, understanding how to stay disciplined, positional defense. He's not like a super gifted generational stopper like GP2, but he's kind of like auto defensively because he's sound, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree there. And so that's how I feel about the Mavericks in general. And again, I kind of touched on the Suns, but yeah, offensively, they have the potential to be uh, really lethal. And you do have to put that into consideration because if you dominate offensively and you put so much pressure on the other team, right? Uh, that that just, it, it has an effect on uh, both ends of the floor. So even if they're not necessarily great defensively, uh, if they can be average defensively and just be dominant on offense, that can carry a team too. And that's what the uh, Mike D'Antoni Suns were all about. They were never a dominant defensive team. They were like middle of the pack, but offensively they were just so overwhelming, right? So... They kind of, you know, and the Suns now kind of had that opportunity, but they need time to gel. They need time to figure out how to kind of reorganize what they're going to do. And that said, I do still think 
that defense is an absolute necessity and they don't have anybody that can stop Steph Curry. Their point of attack is their point of attack might be Tory Craig, given their roster and yeah. So you know, as long as the Warriors have better defensive pieces and they have Steph Curry, that that is to me the formula for success. So again. I'm not nearly as worried about the Suns as people think that Suns are going to, now they're the favorites and they're going to run away with it or something like this. I don't necessarily agree. I think when shit hits the fan, uh, KD kind of in the playoffs can become a different player, a different person. And we've seen that uh, even last year against the Celtics, right? So I'm very, I'd be very interested to see how Wiggins does against KD. That's a different kind of matchup. Uh, but if he brings a certain level of physicality uh, to that and make, I'll KD be honest. I'll be honest. I would ra- I, You know what I would do? This might be a little risky, but I would put Looney on Aiton. I would say put Draymond on KD. Put Wiggins on Chris Paul. Put Clay or whoever. I would say GP two for closing like on Booker, and that's four dudes. And then I would say put Steph on whoever the, the fifth guy is. Now, if if Looney's not in, then you kind of have to switch it up a bit. But I like Draymond on KD. And I like uh, Wiggins on Chris Paul. Like, just covering in space, covering ground, getting to the release point, making shots tough, really hounding him, just being a, a, a physical presence. And then... Um, GP two on Booker, we've seen what that looks like. You know what I'm saying? Like that, those kind of matchups are really like you know. I kind of like it now that we got GP two. We got options, but we also got a guy who can shut down Luca and Booker and Jalen Brown and those type of guys. You know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think KD will obviously get different looks. It won't just be Wiggins. Uh, I'm sure Draymond will get on him at times as well, but. In terms of who's going to get KD uh, long-term in a series like that, it's going to be Wiggins. Wiggins is the guy. He yeah. proved that last season. Uh, from a perimeter standpoint, I think Wiggins just has more ability uh, at this point uh, than whatever Draymond has left in the perimeter. You know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah, for so, sure, for sure. I agree. So, so yeah, I, again, there's a tw- 25 to 30 games left for most teams. Uh, and so they have some number of games to kind of figure out, figure things out and see how they gel uh, before we really, you know, and Katie's out, you know, so we'll see when he comes back. The Suns really? are still kind of, they lost really? a bunch of pieces now. Yeah. And didn't they just lose the game last, was it last night? Or the they did. Night? And they play again tonight against the Pacers. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see how things shake out for them. Uh, but again, for me, looking at the overall balance uh, of the roster, I, I think the Clippers look the most imposing to me mm-hmm, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of what I see out of the West. Um, is there I is think... there any other team? Like obviously the Nuggets are still there. Yeah, but you know how I feel about the Nuggets just because. Yeah, Jokic, Jokic is is say, say it say say it real quick. He's fucking food. Uh, he is food, man. Nobody, you know, he can't stop anybody. So. I understand that they built the roster really well around him, but your center needs to be your anchor and your center needs to, he's the backline. He sees everything, right? So he needs to be in control of the defense, but he's, you can argue that he's the least in control. You could argue that maybe um, Murray is a worse defender than him. 
uh, if it, I don't even know if that's true, but Jokic is just so exposable. And so I, I see that. Yeah. Yep. Exploitable. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, whereas the Clippers, um, you know, going back to the Clippers a little bit, uh, just even a guy like Mason Plumley, I think you were saying that he's limited offensively, but he's a great passer. You look at what he's, he's averaged almost four assists a game. That is very true. That is true. Yep. 67% from the field. That's better than Gary Payton. Right. And that's, you know, that's on seven attempts. So this, this guy, you give him the, you feed him near the, near the rim, he's going to finish it. Right. So that's elite. And I I would say probably his bigger problem is his uh, defense. Like, you know, if, if you get a switch and have him out there on an Island against, let's say a Steph, then he's in trouble. Right. But in terms of just being uh, connected overall, uh, as long as he's not uh, getting exposed in a certain way, he's a very usable piece. Uh, You know, it's just, he just gives them more options and more kind of versatility. Yeah, more more combinations, of course. Right. And that's just one piece. And again, like when I say, when I bring up Eric Gordon, I bring him up because he has the potential to be in a finishing lineup. Mm -hmm, And that's mm -hmm. what he was for the Rockets. Um, when the Warriors faced them those two times and he raised hell. He gave, he was a pain in the neck. You know, he hit timely shots. Uh, he's not afraid. That game of five, that game five, he hit a big shot. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, defensively, he's a bulldog, man. He's tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, you look for guys like that. Toughness is really important. And so to put him next to Kawhi and PG and man and Batum. Like, you're right. No, yeah, you're right. Five guys that are just... Yeah, you know, no you're right. Yeah, they got they they really. I will say this, right? The Clippers, they have flaws, but they rounded out their roster well. Um, I agree. They have a really good seven to eight, right? And uh, so and so do the Warriors, and so do the Nuggets, and so do the the. Uh, well, yeah, the Suns, great. not really the Suns necessarily, but um, I mean they have a good starting five or six, but it kind of you know trickles off from there. But nah, I mean. Very, very true. I, I'll say this about the Nuggets: they, they're, they're, their ranking defensively isn't great. Um, they're, they're probably a little bit better defensively than what that shows. But honestly, um, we kind of see the same story, you know, in the playoffs. Where I want to see, I think Jokic is a guy. Like personally, I think he's a guy. I think he's like offensively. He is one of two. I think you got Steph in tier one, and then you got Jokic in one B. Like I think he, him and Steph are like right there. And Jokic is the problem is like you said is the defense. So they're gonna have to like find a way to offset in the playoffs. And and the thing is possessions are fewer, pace is slower, less you know less of this, less of that. It just gets tighter. It gets you have to be better. You know you have to execute better get stops, string together stops. Like, I don't know, man. Any, A lot of these teams, like the Clippers could be a first-round exit if they face the wrong team. But so could the Nuggets because it's about matchups. It's about who, it's about personnel. And you're right, though. I, I do think the Nuggets do have a glaring issue, but at the end of the day, Jokic is a guy, and they got some pieces, man. Like KCP and Bruce Brown, they're real. Like they're hitting shots. They're defending well. They're 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 clo- attacking closeouts. Uh, Aaron Gordon is a one of the best play finishers in the league, 
and and they just got rid of Bones Highland. Christian Brown's getting a, a lot of run now. He's really good. He's kind of like their de facto GP two. So they got dudes, man. I I, they're, I think they're a threat. But Memphis, I, I you know, funny enough, we didn't even talk about Memphis. But I'm not. I'm really not worried about Memphis. Personally, I think we've cracked their code in terms of how we defend them, kind of the timing and the math of it all, and and how we just kind of break them down slowly and slowly and slowly. We did it on Christmas and then we did it again. Uh, you know, Steph was Steph got ejected with the with a few minutes to go. We closed them out. So, yeah, I, I think, think the Grizzlies. I think yeah. the Grizzlies would be a a tougher team if they had a different star who was a little more reliable defensively because we mm-hmm. saw that the Warriors yeah. had a tougher time with them once John Morant got was out of the equation, right? So, you know, so because of that, I, I, I'm less worried about them just just as much as you. No, that makes sense, and and yeah. So overall, I mean, the West got better for sure, um, but yeah. there are still flaws, right? Those team, like the teams we listed, are still flawed in some type of way that are exploitable. And even the Warriors are right. Like we're still a little undersized. We need. We need. We're still, I think, a, a forward short. Maybe in the buyout market, we could explore options there. Um, all right. I think we kind of touched on all that. And then the last thing I want to discuss really quickly is um, trends and expectations coming up before the All Star break. I think we play. So we play the Lakers. I know on Saturday, and then we play on Monday the Wizards at home, and then we play the Clippers on the road on a back to back. And then it's all-star break. So we have three games to go. Um, and then even beyond that, but what are your like expectations in terms of the trends you want to see? Kind of Just kind of rounding out the conversation we've had. And what do you expect to happen in, 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 in terms of lineups and chemistry and things of that nature? So I, I think, first of all, I'm looking at their schedule now. And let's see, they have the Lakers coming up. They have the Wizards at home on the road against the Clippers, on the road against the Lakers. And then they have the Rockets, Timberwolves, and the Blazers, Clippers, Pelicans, all at home. They have a five-game homestand uh, after going on a short uh, trip to L.A., right? So, huh. And this is going to be without Steph Curry. They basically have to hold the fort until Curry comes back. But the Warriors have shown an ability to kind of hold ground while Curry's out because of Jordan Poole and his ability to step in and kind of play that role that Steph Curry plays at the point guard position. And defensively, when you have Dante Wiggins and Draymond, you know, you, you have, and Loon obviously as well, uh, you, you, you have like a kind of a fundamentally correct setup in terms of offense and defense. And so now you add Gary Payton to that equation. I think the Warriors have a chance to play 500 or better uh, with what they have. Um, if Gary Payton is who we know he, he is, I think they can play above 500. So, and we just have to hope that Steph Curry kind of, you know, comes back early enough where the thing about Steph Curry and his injuries is that he, he needs time to get back into rhythm once once he does come back. We've seen that time and time again, even this season. It took him a while to kind of get back into, you know, whatever he was before the uh, shoulder injury. 
took him like, you know, a few weeks for him to become, and he said that as well. He said he needed the timing back and all this stuff. And this is a leg injury. So he can't really do a whole lot. Uh, so he's going to come back and he's going to need, you know, maybe three weeks to kind of really get back into things. So, and that's before the playoffs. So uh, the Warriors are fortunate in that regard. What's not fortunate is the fact that they don't have as many games left on the season. So they have to continue to find ways to win games because right now, what are they? They're, they're the ninth seed? Yeah, right now, I believe they're they're the ninth seed and they're right behind um, Minnesota. Yeah, so. so they're still in a very kind of dangerous situation. They need to be careful and they have to hope that they don't suffer any more injuries moving forward. And so uh, this is, they, they just, I think they had, they're a, they have enough pieces to be able to win these games. Uh, we'll, we'll see I how agree. it turns out. I absolutely agree. And, and in terms of expectations and you might see a little bit of experimentation from Kerr. I, I also find it compelling and, and, and intriguing to see what he does with Moody and, 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 and Kaminga in terms of their minutes and their role and kind of etching out what what, what they're going to do and contribute to this team, if at all. Um, I know Kaminga, obviously. Play. What's up? Moody's not going to play. So you don't think Moody's going to have an opportunity? No, because he plays the same position as Dante. Where is he going right. to play? Right, right, right. No, I, yeah, you make – no, that's 100%. I do think, though, without Steph, he might find himself 10 minutes here or there. Uh, I'd be shocked. Because they still have Ty Jerome. Yeah. No, it's gonna be it's going to be we do have a lot of guys. You're right. There is a log jam in that guard spot. And yeah. ultimately I do wanna I do wanna say though, like Kaminga, I think just continue to improve and develop and that trend upwards defensively, right? Which has been so encouraging. And then, you know, obviously if Moody's not gonna get playing time, right? We got Dante out there. We got GP2 out there now with lineup versatility with Swiss Army Knives who can do multiple things on the court. And I'm interested in the lineups we're going to see. We might see like, you know, we might see, and and and, and I also mentioned this earlier in, in I think either Spaces or something. I said, you know, we talk about the three-guard lineup, Steph, Clay, and Poole. But what really perks my ears is a th- the three guard lineup of Pool, Dante, and GP two? That is an interesting combination of guys. Now, obviously, right, that you're gonna give something up, whether it be rebounding and some size and whatever. But Dante and GP two play bigger than they are. They're pretty good rebounders in a vacuum. They defend pretty well, and scoring. I mean, they're also very solid offensive players. So. I'm ve- and they're Swiss Army knives, right? Like these guys aren't one-dimensional, you know, scoring. You know, we're gonna just come off the bat. Like they're not. It's not a lot of overlap, a lot of variety and skill set. So I'm I'm very curious to see how a lineup like that would work, where like you do like a Jordan, Dante, GP two, maybe you know, I Jamichael, Loon, or maybe. Wiggins. Wiggins, yeah. Wiggins, Wiggins Loon, Wiggins Draymond, something like that. Yeah. I'm curious because 
Now you have options to where you can slot in Dante for GP2 if you want to lean offense. Or you can slot in GP2 for pool if you want to lean defense. Like, so much versatility from that standpoint. And, yeah, I just think they're you're going to see some experimentation. You're going to see some combinations we haven't seen yet. And, and you know, Clay's going to be an interesting factor here because... I you know with GP two and now you got Dante and you got Jordan. I'm gonna I'm curious to see what the what what guard pairings we're gonna see from that standpoint. Wiggins obviously has been on, trending towards an upward you know a positive direction, so he's gonna be really good. We have a lot of Swiss Army knives on this team. We got Draymond, we got Wiggins, we got GP two and Dante. I mean that's four dudes. Not a lot of teams could say that dudes who can you know defend, pass. Things of that nature. And then obviously a couple of them could shoot, right? Like Dante can shoot a bit. Um, Wiggins can shoot a little bit. So we got dudes who can do stuff with the ball. And, and it's really encouraging. Uh, now, you know, th- these are interesting trends and, and, and expectations here. I do want to, last thing, because I just thought of it. Any buyout thoughts or players or options or suggestions you have, um, I know there aren't, it hasn't been necessarily established and solidified yet as to who's available, but from a couple of the names, I know Kevin Love may or may not be bought out. I know uh, Kobe Altman, who's their GM, might have mentioned, you know, they're not interested in it, whatever. Let's assume Kevin Love is is bought out. Let's assume um, Rudy Gay, like let's assume certain guys that we've seen, you know, certain lists and names of, let's assume certain guys are bought out. Of who's available or of who may be available, are there names that you are looking at? And if not, are there like names that you are thinking of? And then if not, from that standpoint, uh, what is like the type of player you want to add on this team? Well, we're not seeing a whole lot in terms of who's going to be available in that regard. Uh, But... Obviously, and this is kind of a pipe dream, but imagine a guy like Thaddeus Young suddenly being available. I think a lot of teams will want him, but you know that would be the ideal situation. But that's not really, you know, probably not realistic. But what do I know? I didn't. I didn't think Gary Payton was realistic either. You know what I mean? And yet the Warriors got him. So you know, you, I wanted Caruso, and it's yep. like they gave us Gary Payton instead. I'll take Gary Payton over Caruso all day. So yeah, um, some of the names that I see, obviously Kevin Love. Kevin Love would be uh, a great addition for the Warriors. The Warriors just need one piece to kind of complete the balance of their roster, right? They need a guy who can kind of play some minutes for Draymond or sometimes replace them if necessary. They, Draymond needs a break. He, he's still going. Like I don't know what the deal with his calf is, but I see him limping around at times, and it just makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because all of this falls apart if they don't have Draymond, right? So uh, whatever rest they can provide for him, whatever piece they can pick up that can uh, capably play his backup minutes or uh, a guy who can play alongside him, uh, this is they still need that piece. The, the West has absolutely kind of bolstered uh, their situations to the best of their abilities, uh, some of these relevant teams. And the Warriors need to continue to kind of uh, try to hone in on finishing the balance of this roster. And so Kevin Love, he would immediately help their rebounding situation. 
he would fit in really well with the Warriors in terms of you know his abilities uh, in, in their system because he's such a good passer. He's a cerebral player. He knows how to play. Right. The only downside of him is defensively. But is he going to be any worse than Bielitsa? And we already saw the positive impacts that a guy like Bielitsa made in the playoffs for the Warriors. And, and so, even Bielitsa, and even Bielitsa was an underrated defender in some ways. Like if when you put him next to Draymond, he was actually pretty solid. So imagine putting Kevin Love next to Looney or Draymond. Those guys can elevate. Even GP two put Kevin Love next to GP two in, in certain lineups. They can elevate his defensive, uh, you know, the baseline of his play from yeah. that end. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and Kevin Love's a elite outlet passer. Uh, you know, he can screen and do all these things. So he could really make a difference for the Warriors as an extra piece uh, that, that provides even like 10 minutes would make a difference for them. And and they ha- there's also Dwayne Dedman out there. Uh, I know he can stretch the floor a little bit. Uh, he can protect the paint a little bit, but he's more of a traditional big. So, you know, the Warriors are looking for that kind of small forward who can play power forward. That's the kind of the, the lamb replacement or the auto replacement, whatever you want to call it. But it doesn't really look like, I don't really see anybody in the buyout market for that. And so if, yeah. if they're not able to find that, then they need to look for an extra body that is a big who can rebound. I know there are guys on the Warriors fan base that don't like bigs, but you can't go this small. This, this is too small, right? Right. No, I, no, I think, I think... That's not a bad suggestion. I do think like you got you still got Jamichael, right, as a body out there. Um but I do think, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm looking at a six eight dude, a six eight switchable defender who can who's a seasoned vet and reliable and you know, I would rather lean rebounding than defense because that's more of a point of emphasis in terms of what we need. But yeah, I mean, just another wing would be would shore up the roster. I know Rudy Gay is is a name that's been floated, and I, I know he's he's looked bad this year in some ways, right? And and he's shooting like twenty three percent from three. He's, his shots just not falling. Um, but yeah, I'm not really interested in Rudy Gay. He, he's yeah, I don't a vet. Trust him defensively. Yeah, um, so I do think I do think Kevin Love is probably the best option, but I think over the next week or so or change, like we're going to see some more names and hopefully, uh, you know, we, we, it's one of, there is a wing available because that would be of great help. But if not Kevin Love, I mean, his skill set does complement a lot of, a lot of the things we aim to do. Right. Yeah. And his ability to space the floor as well. He, he's an elite shooter. So yeah. Also that. All right. Yeah. So then by the time we have, our next episode, it'll be after the Lakers and the Wizards and the, the Clippers game. And then it's All-Star break, so we can kind of round out the pre-All-Star break version of the Warriors, how they close it out, and look ahead at, you know, expectations after. So, uh, once again, Jim, I appreciate having you on uh, as my co-host. And uh, this has been this was a really good episode. And uh, yeah, I think uh, any any last thoughts or, or words? Yeah, so uh, I enjoyed the talk with you as always. Uh, um, obviously, we are elated to have Gary Payton back. Uh, yep. It's brought a lot of hope back. The Warriors, they have a core seven now. 
uh, going into the playoffs that they can utterly rely on. They're just looking for that eighth piece that is that is going to just complete the overall roster, right? And uh, again, Kuminga has the potential to be that, but you'd rather go with somebody that you know is going to be that. And that's where, you know, that's that's the biggest difference. Uh, Kuminga can still play in the playoffs and make an absolute impact as a ninth man. Don't underestimate the importance and power of a ninth man. Um, so, and one more name uh, in the buyout market, potential, potentially, uh, the Warriors could look to, uh, Nerlens Noel. Uh, Nerlens Noel, is that how you say his name? He's, um, you know, obviously, once again, he's a big man, but from a paint-protecting perspective, you put a guy like that uh, next to the guys that the Warriors already have, and that could also be a very interesting, you know, remember when the Warriors were completely dominant defensively with a guy like Bogut? I understand that some of these bigger guys, they're not able to uh, play come playoff time against certain teams, right? Uh, uh, against certain schemes. But again, the playoffs is a very long journey and you need kind of, you need different pieces for different series, different matchups, mm -hmm. right? So, yes. uh, and New Orleans Noel is a proven defensive guy. He's a very good defender in the paint, right? So uh, he's, a, he's like way, way better than a guy like Jermichael Green, let's say. Right. From that, yeah, from that standpoint, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's another name to consider. But um, yeah, great conversation. I enjoyed it as always. Absolutely, man. All right, I appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, any thoughts or suggestions? Just DM or tag me and Jim in, in any tweets. We're we're open to uh, any suggestions or feedback that you may have, and we appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, hopefully we can have Manu on next time. I know he was busy, but uh, this was a really good combo, and, and I think the, the pod is just improving. So uh, appreciate it, and I'll see you guys later.